Welcome to the Word on Wednesday podcast for April 5. My name is John Mason. Thank you for joining us. Easter Day that we celebrate this Sunday is a gala day as we remember Jesus' resurrection from the dead. His resurrection underscores the validity of the Christian faith. Without it, we are lost. That said, our joy with Jesus' resurrection raises interesting questions. Why isn't an empty tomb the symbol of Christianity? Why is the symbol a cross? In today's age, when feelings and political correctness trump facts, it would surely make much more sense if we focused on the themes of the new life and hope that the resurrection symbolises. Yet despite the fact that Jesus' crucifixion was a bloody and brutal affair, the cross remains the symbol of the Christian faith. Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 9. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all of these things to the eleven and to all the rest. In the opening scene of Luke's resurrection chapter, Luke chapter 24, we read, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, the women came to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. There was no joy in the hearts of those women that morning. They had watched Jesus die, and now were grief-stricken and despairing. They had believed that he was God's Messiah and were looking forward to a new age of justice and peace, of laughter, love and joy. Now their only thought was to give his body a proper burial. We can picture them trudging to the tomb in the grey light of the dawn, burdened by their own thoughts and laden with heavy jars of oils and spices for the burial. But that was not all. When they arrived at the grave, they saw that the huge stone closing the tomb had been rolled away. Was this some underhand action on the part of the authorities? While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women had despaired at Jesus' death and now were terrified. They could only bow their faces to the ground at the dazzling appearance of two angels. And when the angels spoke, the women were even more confused. Why do you look for the living amongst the dead? they asked. He's not here, but has risen. You've come to the wrong place, they were saying. Remember, they said. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee... The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise again. The angels could have explained the empty tomb. Instead, they told the women to remember what Jesus had said to them. The focus of Jesus' words they quoted is important. 
the Son of Man, the Messiah, had to suffer and die, then rise again. Suffering and death were essential to the first coming of God's King amongst us. Which brings us back to the subject of the cross. Richard Dawkins and others reckon that to say Jesus died for our sins is vicious and disgusting. Why couldn't God simply forgive sins if he so chose, Dawkins asks. In every age, Jesus' death has been an enigma, even for his first followers. Yet during the course of his ministry, Jesus had foreshadowed both his death and his resurrection. Indeed, in his public ministry, he had revealed that he had not come as a political Messiah to bring in God's kingdom through force. Rather, he came as a saviour to address our greatest problem, our broken relationship with a Creator God. Only Jesus Christ, the man from heaven, could deliver us from God's just judgment and open the doors of hope for the future. This theme infuses the Gospel of Luke. At Jesus' birth, the angel announced that God's Saviour had been born. And when Jesus met with Zacchaeus, he summed up his ministry saying, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Furthermore, his words at the Last Supper are key to the meaning of his death. This is my body given for you, he said. This is my blood shed for you. These words are amongst the oldest statements of Christianity. We find them in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, written around 50 AD, as well as in Matthew, Mark and Luke, which were written no later than the 60s. In fact, when we read Luke as a whole, we come to see that Jesus' death is about God's love and justice, central aspects of God's character. Some say that Jesus' crucifixion was a form of child abuse, a father punishing a son for someone else's wrongs. But we need to remember Jesus' words in John chapter 10 and verse 11, where he said he would lay down his life voluntarily for his people. The movement of the Bible tells us that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. As we read in Leviticus chapter 17 and in Hebrews chapter 9, God, the wronged party, in his extraordinary love, came amongst us in person and bore the punishment we deserve. God, as the just judge, paid in full, once and for all time, the penalty owed by us, the accused who have been found guilty of dishonouring the name of God. When we understand this, Jesus' words at his Last Supper, my body given for you and my blood shed for you, we begin to see why the cross, once an instrument of Roman brutality, became and remains today the symbol of God's extraordinary love for the world. The cross is not a charm. This was the price for our forgiveness required by the holy and just God. We surely tremble at the cost God was willing to pay for our restoration. So let me pray. Almighty Father, look graciously upon your people for which our Lord Jesus Christ was willing to be betrayed and given up into the hands of wicked men, and to suffer death upon the cross. 
who now lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, for ever and ever. Amen. And a prayer for Easter Day. Almighty God, you have conquered death through your dearly beloved Son, Jesus Christ, and have opened to us the gate of everlasting life. Grant us by your grace to set our mind on things above, so that by your continual help our whole life may be transformed through Jesus Christ our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit in everlasting glory. Amen. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip each one of us with everything good, that we may do His will, working in us what is pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory for ever and ever. Amen. People involved in today's podcast are John Mason, speaker and writer, and April Marks, a member of Christ Church Presbyterian, San Francisco. The prayers are from an Australian prayer book, 1978. The opening and closing music is from St Andrew's Cathedral, Sydney, under the direction of Ross Cobb. Please let us know if you have a question or a comment about this podcast. We'd love to hear from you.